0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: Knockback, the retro and nostalgia podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash last stand media. <music> Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined, as always, by my brother Dagan Bruckheimer Moriarty. Dagan, <laughs> thank you for joining me today. How are you? Is that my call sign? That's your call Bruckheimer. sign. Yeah, we'll get to that.
2: Oh, yeah, I really wanted a better one. I was thinking of. <laughs> I was thinking of hailstorm.
1: Yeah, that's like Sounds hot dogs. If we're Battle Star Galactica. <laughs> uh actually in battlestar they have one of the they only say them in the background i don't know if they but they say it a few times there's one called stepchild which i think is all i like got i like a, that a one pilot named stepchild yeah that's
2: awesome. a good one because it's not an yeah. aerial related term you need something that sounds cool but like the aerial related ones sound cliched but then right you know they could cross over into. you don't want to be like snowflake or or Elven sprite or something like that you want right be right something badass
1: not snowflake but iceman right there it, you go it's, it's exactly big difference that's exactly right well uh, it is a huge difference, but we'll get to the call signs. We'll get to all that. Yeah, well, of course. Uh, thank you all out there for joining us on another episode of Knockback, our retro and nostalgia podcast supported on Patreon, patreon.com slash last stand media. We could not do it without you. More than 12,000 of you over there supporting us. We thank you so much. Knockback is our best kept secret and we are slowly gathering people like it's interesting Dave. I, I get so many letters from the audience and I read the comments and stuff and we just scrape people very slowly off the other shows. Right. Because. We get them with like we got a bunch with Spider-Man recently. Yes. And the um, 2002 movie. And um, we're going to do Metal Gear Solid 2 soon, which I think we'll get another bunch. But it's fun to do both the ones that like only we care or only I care about, like Battlestar. And then ones that actually like get people on board. And then what's fun is once they're engaged in Knockback, then they have this whole catalog. And we get messages all the time being like, dude, I am so amped. I work like as a delivery driver or I work in a factory and I have literally... 500 hours or something more probably
2: yeah of that catalog to fall back on when you we you know how it is when you discover something a, a pod or a youtube show you know you yeah. want to have that back catalog so, so it's always so disappointing when it's like oh man this thing just started there's only three shows so far you know right but yeah we got years worth of content to offer on a weekly basis so you guys could go back could enjoy see how please the sure. show's changed over the years yeah, I, st- I haven't done do. that myself so i'd be intrigued
1: yeah, I don't try to go back and listen to things I've done. Just I don't read my old work or listen to my old shows that's or watch my old videos. That. I just can't. Especially, I can't look at myself. I'm like, oh my god, I was so. <laughs> Every time I look at myself, I'm like, oh my god. I, have, I was saying on Sacred Symbols, I have like a blem- like a bad blemish
2: coming here, and I was like, oh man, I'm glad I'm in puberty now.
1: <laughs> so you that's never exciting. know, man.
2: That stuff. To, no. it's like the cracking voice, right? It Just right. pops up on you in your forties. Doesn't matter. Puberty's long since passed, but those things so just hope. creep up.
1: We, you so. Hope. You hope, you hope, yeah. You hope you hope you're out of here. All right, so our retro nostalgia podcast, we're going to cover Top Gun today, the 1986 film. But before we do that, Goodness. uh, I just wanted to check in on you, Dave, see how you're doing. I wanted to let you know, yeah, that we and I, I tweeted about this, but we ha- are getting another dog, a second dog. No, and yeah, there's pictures of her on, on a, I'll, I'll actually. Here, I'm gonna do it live for you. What? I will just email it to you. Okay. But yeah, we're getting it. We're getting another puppy, another Boston Terrier. I was gonna ask. And okay. Same breed. Yeah. Yep. And same breeder. Oh. And yeah, so she's a little, she's a little girl. And I, I, I haven't said anything to anyone publicly yet, but I'm gonna name her Treble. And, oh. Oh uh, my goodness. So it'll be yeah. I've decided about that. So I had a little bit of um. I was a little bit apprehensive at first because I was like, people are going to think that the name is Trouble. <laughs> and I was really hung up on this. And you're just so pronouncing I was like, it weird. Yeah, like or they're hearing it wrong. I mean, because if I heard that, I'd be like Trouble. Tr-. But Trouble. then I'm like, you know what? That doesn't matter. Then the dog's name is going to be Trouble. I can't get my Twitter to work right now. So you,
2: you, you need a Mega look, Man a reference in there. You got to have it, my friend.
1: So we have Rush, of course, a Mega Man reference. Treble, of course, is the Dr. Wiley has his own Mega Man named Forte or Base and base has a dog also really a wolf i think and it's named treble such so a cool looking and character yeah
2: and so cool, i love dude. the idea of
1: having the little girl being that the that name and yeah we're excited so we got her in like five weeks
2: dude that's and, so exciting yeah. there's something about the two dog dynamic that's very appealing i even think about it for myself life's too crazy right now but i and i think you know something really appealing about going with two of the same breed as well
1: a pair that's, that was yeah, that that was the thing. We we're actually doing it in. Oh, I found it finally. So I'm gonna email it to you. Okay. So I the breeder that we dealt with is. Uh, it's off to you now. It's uh, really nice, and we feel bad for Rush. Like we're with him all the time. He's very needy because he's grown up in a an environment where I'm always here, right? Right. And he he's very needy. He needs our attention. He he gets upset when we leave and stuff like that. And we're like, it would be kind of nice for him to, have, especially because he's a Boston Terrier. They're a very active breed. I love playing with him, and we walk him a bunch every day. And we, but he needs more, I think. And so I think the best way to do that, ironically, is to get him a dog to play.
2: Yeah, with Yeah, high energy. Yeah. You know what's cool about that? You think about a cat, right? A cat may or may not take to another cat, but I can't see a scenario where a dog doesn't take to another dog. They like companionship. They like to play. They're not right. really the jealous types. They're not. They'll be vying for attention, but they're not going to be. It's not going to be in a obnoxious way. You know. So, yeah oh, i think the picture i think she so. came through yeah did you did you get did you get it? <laughs> that that she she's a straight up pokemon at this right. point yeah so
1: cute it's yeah they're ridiculous oh my god
2: <laughs> barely <laughs> so, bigger than the palm of this person's hand
1: yep yep she's uh, so tidy yeah so she will get her you know in the coming weeks and we're excited about that so i thought i'd let you know kiki's gonna have yet another cousin, another cousin. how's she doing how's kiki
2: she's good yeah, she's crazy. She needs a haircut. She's so shaggy. I call her slash right now. All she's missing is like the cigarette and the bottle of Jack Daniels. You know, she's got this like the hair over the face, like and like the guitar. That's all she needs right now. She's so funny, dude. I, I, I think she'd be really happy with like another Havanese, but it's kinda crazy too, like the restrict. you and Micah are kinda good because you're not really travelers, so you don't have any desire to really go too many places too often, but Especially with the kids and whisking them off, you know, even going back and forth down the shore, it's a little bit like. No, it's a lot. You know, they, lot. you get saddled with the dog, you know, that, the, right. the, you know, you have to account for the dog. You can't just leave it home like a cat for a couple of days. You know, you got the litter box, you right. square it away, you're fine. Boop. you know, it's different. But you're yeah, totally she's right.
1: Good. She's good. Good. Yeah. Yeah, She's cute. I like, I like chasing her around. <laughs> the, uh, I haven't seen her in a while, but I, I like chasing her around the, uh, the island in your kitchen. She's so cute. She freaks out all right dig let's get into right. the topic at hand i'm, top I'm Gun. happy to do i'm so psyched you threw this one out and uh in our text message chain and i was i was like yeah it's why haven't we done top Gun? It's that's a great idea so 1986 tom cruise of course val kilmer of course who's excellent in this i love val kilmer in this i'm curious uh what you well what, what made you want to bring this one up and and in re-watching it, let's start at the top. What did you think? We, of course, have a lot of inquiries from the audience as well. We'll get into those. But talk to me at a high level about Top Gun. No,
2: I'm excited to talk to the listeners about that. Yeah. You know what's funny? I was thinking, like, I was having a deja vu moment with this. I was like, why? I suggested doing it. Top Gun Maverick is coming out later in the year. It's supposed to. It keeps getting put off. But the sequel of to Top Gun is coming out. I think it's coming out in November finally now. After getting pushed off due to COVID and other things that are happening. So I thought it would be timely, somewhat timely, but also I was like, why does this feel like we've talked about it? And I think not too many episodes ago, I talked about it in the opening of showing my kids the film finally, maybe it was in the fall, not too many months ago, and how it was one of those emblematic 80s movies that just, I think, ended up, they ended up being either bored or confused by. Like, it's just a movie unto its time, really, unto its era. Definitely. But Definitely. growing up, Like you said, how can you do a largely 80s nostalgia podcast and not talk about Top Gun? It's an iconic 80s blockbuster. Everybody knows the film. I think it'll be a really interesting conversation because of the actors and because of certain things. Is it good? Is it not good? Does it hold up? But also just thinking about being a kid. I was 12. I would be 13 by the end of the year that it came out. So I was 12 when it came out. You were not even two when it came out. But I think about growing up, being a kid of the seventies and eighties and coming up through those interests that we often do, you know, the, the quote unquote that, that many of us do, not all of us, but you know, toy trucks, toy cars, dinosaurs and airplanes, fighter jets. It's like one of those things that you always come through. And I was thinking back to being this age or anywhere from six on up, probably star Wars with the dog fighting. We had the iron Eagle movies around the same time in the eighties as top gun. I was really into Macross slash Robotech. So we had the Valkyrie fighters, which were largely inspired by F-14s, the transforming Valkyries. And then, of course, Transformers with the Seeker Jets and everything. G.I. Joe was a huge part of this, especially with the Sky Striker. So very 80s fighter jet sort of um, inspirations for me. I loved it as a kid. I loved planes. And so Top Gun came along at the right moment. I had a vision. I remember seeing this in the theater in our beloved now- you know, obsolete, gone, Brookhaven Multiplex. And seeing it, the ultimate popcorn movie. And I had this vision of coming out, being so psyched, and then playing Sega's Afterburner there in the, in the vestibule of the movie theater. But I couldn't have because after doing a little research, Afterburner came out in the arcades in 87. So it would have been a year later. But I'm just kind of tying those Brookhaven multiplex memories together. You know, I probably played that the next year after seeing Turtles or something, you know, whatever was out in the theater at the time. But, you know, my love for fighter jets still exists to this day. And this is probably the first time I saw like a live action vehicle that was really tied to that interest, you know, that really kindled that, that love of seeing something that was realistic. And that was just badass to me. And the other thing about it is, and I'll set this off by saying something really brief, I don't know that this is a good movie, hmm. if you're not interested in jets, if you're not hmm. interested in dogfighting, fighter jets, that whole airplanes, that whole thing, I don't know like, you know, it's a buck I think this movie weighs in at like a buck 50, so it's less than yeah. two hours. It's a relatively quick watch. I think it moves at a pretty brisk pace, generally, but I don't know in walking away now seeing this movie at least a half dozen times in my life if I could fairly say that this would hold somebody's interest that's not into dogfighting. Maybe the romance would be enough. Maybe the rivalry between the characters, the main characters. Maybe Tom Cruise's backstory and sort of the demons and the ghosts he's battling. But I'm not sure. But for me, it still holds up to me. I still really enjoy it. I love it. I don't know that it's ever been... I don't know that we've had a proper fighter jet movie that's better than this. Hopefully Top Gun Maverick top, you know tops out and improves on it.
1: We'll see. We'll see. It's in it's in the can. We're
2: waiting on it. Yeah. We're just waiting
1: now. So it's funny you say that about is it a good film or not? I mean, this is a contentious thing with a lot of people. And we have two comments that I wanted to read back to back that that represent this because we got a lot of both. And so Andrew Singo wrote in and said, Hello, sons of bitch. I'm (laughs) giddy that you are finally getting the top gun as a topic. I don't have a specific question, more of a conversation topic phrased as multiple questions. Is there a movie that oozes cool more than this one? What's cooler than a bunch of sweaty dudes playing beach volleyball or Tom Cruise looking out from behind his aviators in class, (laughs) giving Kelly McGillis that trademark smirk? I'm not an 80s kid, but this movie makes me wish I I was every time I see it. But Napoleon in rags writes in and says, hey, bros, I watched this for the first time last year and it's not a good movie. (laughs) Super cheesy, strange plot points, awkward moments throughout. How much does nostalgia help this movie? It seems like it's only it, it seems like it's the only thing going for it. So. I hadn't seen Top Gun in a long time. I don't know when the last time I saw it is like you said, I was like two or three when this came out, so I wasn't seeing it in the theater, but I remember probably seeing it on cable. It was like one of those movies I was always on at some point. And so you end up seeing it like a bunch of times in dribs and drabs, like when you're coming in from Wiffle Ball or you're like dicking around and then you sit down and watch a half an hour of it or whatever. So but I don't know the last time I watched it front to back. And I agree. I, I actually in some way, I disagree with you, Dagan, that I think it's long. Like, I feel like there's a lot of because it's to your point. I feel like if you're not into dog fighting, there's some cool shit in, in the movie. But if you're not into all of that and you're not into the aerial stuff and whatever, then, yeah, you're probably not going to be drawn to it. And I think that is like so much of the movie. When you think about the way the movie begins, there's like almost nothing for like 15 or 20 minutes. Yeah, but that's true. But just that like the movie doesn't even start with And they get quickly into this exposition about his dad and all. It's just moving kind of weird in that way. And it's funny. I don't usually care about this stuff. But when I was looking to see what this won, as far as awards, it was nominated for some Academy Awards, didn't um, win any of them. But I was my eye was drawn to this Robert Roger Ebert, rather, quote about the movie. And uh, he was saying that uh, (laughs) he was saying that the movie is he says Movies like Top Gun are hard to review because the good parts are so good and the bad parts are so relentless. (laughs) And that was like pretty that pretty that resonated with me. He gave it two five two point five 2.5 out of four stars. I I can't help but not terrible. uh, Yeah, I can't help but agree with that assessment. But I was thinking about you a lot when I was watching this, just in the sense of I know you still have a a love of fighter jets. I do. And uh, all of that. And I was thinking it's funny because jets kind of began in the 40s and then really into the 50s. But that was the era of rocketry. And I think that that was what drew a lot of people's attention going, you know, the space race and inter intercontinental ballistic missiles and all this shit that required like these huge rockets and tons of fuel. And jets were moving all the while. I actually think the Nazis were the ones that were working on jet aircraft first in the 40s. And wow, I, I only bring that up because it seems like everything was kind of obfuscated and come the 70s, people are kind of over the space race and over rocketry and thus the rise of the fighter jet in 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 our nomenclature, I think, rises in our and obviously they took place in Korea. They took part in Vietnam, but it seems like that's when it kind of had the room to shine. And so the 80s seems to me like the culmination of all of that and not only our stuff, but also what the enemies work with, with sure. the MiGs and everything like that. So the intro is very visual and long and I'm wondering what you think about all of those moments and if they're still captivating to you as a fan of, of, you know, aeronautics, I guess.
2: Yeah. You know what? I still think it holds up in that way. Now, I'm also being extremely fair to this movie. So I'm having like a midlife crisis, right? I talked about getting a motorcycle on Twitter while also considering getting, going for a pilot's license now. That's my newest thing. This That'll is awesome. now, This is a week. This is a week old. This, this, this thought never even thought about this in my entire life as much as I love <laughs> aeronautics and jets now i'll be flying little cessnas and sandpipers and stuff if i'm lucky. not gonna fight you're not gonna fire, fire Hornet. <laughs> if they give me an f-18 i might yeah. i might bite but right so i'm you going got a good tone. Through, <laughs> <laughs> sorry go i'm going through this whole thing now where this movie is still looking good to me because of the motorcycle and because of the flying right but it, it, if you look at this movie it's such a cool guy movie, right? You have picking up women, drinking beers, riding motorcycles, flying jets, super athletic stunts on the beach with the volleyball game, rivalries and tough guy one liners and stuff. Like it is such a, a movie of machismo. And I think what makes the movie hold up is that it is kind of eighties camp. If you had something like this today, it would be a comedy. You know, it would be one of those hot shots type type movies where it would be sort of lampooning this whole thing. But I'm not, you know, this movie wasn't really tongue in cheek. You had Tony Scott, who was a very, you know, prior to this, like a very seen as a very artistic director, brother, brother of Ridley Scott. And you had actors that weren't who they would go on to become. Now, Tom Cruise, you know, did the outsiders and risky business and everything like that. But he wasn't Tom Cruise proper yet. And Val Kilmer wasn't who Val Kilmer would go on to be yet. This was pretty early in their careers, relatively early. So I think this movie is like a snapshot in time. And that's what makes it really kind of interesting and fun. But I do agree with you that outside of all the military slash naval combat, Cold War era, you know, MiG-28 versus F-14 Tomcat, like, if that's not on your radar no pun then <laughs> probably this movie is going to be pretty hard to get through even at less than 2 hours you know but i think you know i think for me it's still a pleasure it's still an absolute pleasure and i think you know what's the other thing well we'll talk about this when we get to Tom Cruise i'm looking at this right here i got my top gun nes cart one of the awesome. worst nintendo games
1: yeah no good but you
2: know this was such this era you had the movie you had the media you had the soundtrack was all over the top 40, all over the radio. Like, Top Gun probably lasted in the public's eye for a couple of years. It was it was iconic in every way. You know, the how much movie it made, home video, uh, and, and, of course, the bankable, the, all the stars that were extremely bankable in one way or the other, whether they were iconic, you know, front and center, center stage actors or character actors, they were all, you know, they were all part of the parlance of the 1980s
1: it's important to note to your point that this movie was enormously popular i mean it made almost 400 million dollars it's insane 1986 so adjusted that would be it would be like almost a billion dollar movie and it's it was made for very little which is actually shocking when i was reading about that and so it's interesting because there are there is a dynamic here that reminds me a lot of a video game it feels like a video game it starts with just a little like an action game, like a Call of Duty game, almost, where you get this very brief intro, like Indian Ocean, right? Then you have like this opening sequence that maybe teaches you how to play and introduces you to things, whatever. And that's kind of like the the dogfight and all of that with the Mig, and then the and you kind of get like some interaction with the deck and all of that. But then when they land, then you start getting like the cutscenes and then you know so on and so forth. I couldn't help but look at it a little bit like a video game and. When you look at it through that lens, I think it is fun. It's not a movie I need to watch again for a while, but I had no I was like not looking forward to it ending or anything like that. I thought it was fun. And it is kind of like one sequence to the next in terms of just getting to those action points and also the curiosity about what's going to happen to the characters. Obviously, you kind of wonder like, well, Goose dies, but I imagine that's a surprise when you first see the movie. Right. And Iceman and and Maverick end up being kind of cool with each other, which I think was a surprise. And something I like, too, I like when tension is broken in movies like
0: that. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside repairs to renovations get started on the angie app or visit angie.com today you can do this when you angie that the angie's list you know and trust is now angie and we're so much more than just a list we still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's list is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.
1: You wanted to talk about Tom Cruise, and I think we can start there, although I want to do it in an interesting way. Jacob wrote in and said, do either of you guys agree with me that Maverick is shown to be a pretty terrible person? He leaves his wingman hanging in the beginning of the movie, causing that pilot to miss his chance at Top Gun is oddly aggressive in pursuing Charlie who follows someone into the woman's bathroom and even keeps Goose's dog tags only to throw them in the ocean instead of giving them to his family. That was the thing that bought me when, I, when he did that. I was like, yeah, why? First of all, he throws like a girl. Second of all, <laughs> why? If you watch it, he throws like a girl. And it, the second thing is, yeah, what the fuck are you doing? It's almost like watching the old woman in Titanic throwing the diamond or the... the it's like, what are you, are you doing? Why are you throwing it in the ocean? Well, I got to talk to you about this. We have to, we have to
2: discuss this. Yeah. yeah well please dive in please dive well in. you know what i could see the perspective that jacob has about tom cruise being sort of a repugnant character in some ways but you know what right in the beginning of the movie they're sort of engaged with the enemy he and goose and then uh merlin and uh cougar and tom cruise has a, the drop on the enemy mig and Goose is saying, like, somebody, either Goose or Cougar, or somebody is saying, take the shot. And Tom Cruise doesn't. He's like, it's not necessary. Why would I do that? So if you're paying attention from very early on, he's not this sort of violently aggressive dude. It's more that he has this passion for flying. And something in the most recent viewing that I realized, too, is that obviously you realize this on the surface, but when you really think about it, he has sort of this stigma that he's trying to run from, or the ghost or the demon of his father's supposed past of his father being some sort of sought after pilot and then having some sort of ouster from the navy that was less than honorable right some something went wrong with his dad and he sort of has to live with that ghost of like everything that his dad or seemingly later we find out the real story but that his dad did wrong And that he has this real passion for flying. When he's not flying, he's on his motorcycle watching the F 14s take off and land and stuff like that. He has this almost obsession with it. Like it's so important to him. It's everything to him. When he's later in one of the drills later on, when they're sort of recapping and they're talking about everything that went wrong and he's sort of getting chewed out for something that he did, although he was successful, but the procedure and everything, the way he went about it was wrong. You could see in his face that he's taking it really really hard like this is flying is everything to this guy and the thing with goose is that i've really kind of recently realized as well is that that was his best friend now you know they have some sort of past i'm not saying they were childhood friends but at least in their naval piloting pursuits they were together they've seemingly known each other for a long time since they were at least younger and when goose dies is a tragic thing and then tom scarrett's the Viper character, he's visiting him at his home, and he's like, you got to let Goose go. Like, you got to let this guy go. This is going to happen again. This happens. When you fly long enough, you're going to encounter tragedies. This is going to happen. It's going to happen again. You got to, I know it's hard, but you got to let it go. Throwing the dog tag, now he, in that final battle, I think, he's talking to Goose's dog tags. He's like, Goose, talk to me. Like, he goes into that flat spin again. He Mm. recovers. And you could still see, like, he hasn't let Goose go. The throwing of the dog tags is letting Goose go. That's why it's mm. it's a it's a crazy moment. Now, it is very funny. He kind of throws like a girl. He's on the, the deck of the carrier, so they kind of just, like, they don't go anywhere. They go, like, mm. he throws it, like, it would go 80 feet, but the wind kind of blows it back It barely goes over the side of the thing. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, that, for me, if you're reading into it, I have a lot of sympathy for Tom Cruise's character because it feels like He's not only, he's he's fighting not only for himself to vie for position, but he's fighting in the face of this tragedy that happened or for his family name, you know? So, and that also gives rise to the, makes the Val Kilner character very interesting too and not a bad guy and having this internal rival, rivalry. There's no, mm. something interesting about Top Gun that strikes me, there's no definitive set enemy. It's just sort of this vague, amorphous, Russian MiG-28 sort of thing. They happen to sort of encounter each other, but there's no enemy. It's really about this internal rivalry and trying to be the best, the best of the best, that whole thing. And I think it's very simple, but it probably just speaks to that little kid in me. Like, you know, that whole thing of like, now I was born with a a heart murmur. So right from the the outset, I was never going to be a fighter pilot, right? You have to be in perfect physical condition, certain weight, certain height. You have to do really well in school, like... These guys are like. You had nothing going for you. I had nothing. I'm lucky (laughs) to be an animator at this point, right? But these guys are like the perfect human specimens. They're super smart. They're super athletic. They're super fit. So, but I think I channel that sort of eight-year-old sort of hopeful, like, wow, wouldn't it be cool to be the best of the best? Like fighter pilots, important job protecting the country, you know, protecting the populace, protecting being like the sort of outer ring of the military and being like in charge of like, you know, protecting your country. Like, how cool is that? This movie still feels the same to me as when I was a little kid. You know, I still feel like it has the same things going for it, which is actually really interesting.
1: Well, I'm glad you brought up Iceman, because first of all, Val Kilmer is awesome. But I wanted to talk about him, too, because it, you had mentioned this really. He's not the bad guy. And in fact, I, I was writing him my notes. I never really realized it, I guess. But is he even wrong about Maverick? Like, he's not even wrong at all about Maverick. He almost does nothing. When I was watching, Iceman does almost nothing wrong in the entire film, except for maybe he takes too long to lock on because he's too much of an an, an exceptional pilot or he's a, he's a perfectionist where he takes too long to lock on to the MiG and and then Goose and Maverick sure, get caught yeah. in the jet wash. And so he's somewhat responsible for that, I guess, but not really. And. So I, I was looking at it through that because that's what makes Top Gun so tr- it, it, you're absolutely right. We were talking about the Soviets, Micah and I, where first of all it's so cool like the, the the shots in the in the and seeing the Soviet pilots or whatever. But I was like, wouldn't it have been even cooler if they were people too? With like maybe they don't go into anything, but you actually see that there are a few individuals. They have Russian writing on their helmets or something, and they're they're fighter pilots too. And instead of they're they're kind of presented like Cobra, yeah, in GI Joe, faceless. Right. Like where they're just like a, a a pilot or a TIE fighter pilot. So that was missing there a little bit, but they don't even really overtly mention the Soviets very much. And you wonder what's going on with all of that. But so they aren't the bad guy. And we'll talk about that in a little while because I want to talk about how weird the whole ending is, because that will cause like an international incident. If that actually happened, oh my God. that would be a, that would be like the beginning of World War Three. If that happened, that, that I don't think that ever something like that ever really happened. So we'll talk about that. But. What do you think about Iceman kind of being right? He wins Top Gun and he obviously at the end Maverick helps him, even though Iceman doesn't want him to be there. But you can't blame Iceman for and he says, he's like, it's not personal. When he goes up to the to the officer, he's like, it's not personal, but Maverick is maybe not ready to fly. So I was just kind of interested in that because Iceman's a little bit of a dickhead. Yeah. But he doesn't really seem like he's doing anything bad. And in fact is the superior pilot. I mean, literally, isn't he?
2: You know, it's interesting. We just discussed this dynamic, a very similar dynamic, between Starbuck and Apollo, the two characters in Battlestar Galactica, where you have these two talented pilots. One's much more instinctive and by the seat of their pants, right, as a cliche. And one's much more by the book and how those two different styles butt up against each other and cause this rivalry. No, you know what's interesting about... Val Kilmer carries himself, the Iceman character carries himself like Pete Mitchell does, just like Maverick does. They sort of have this cocksure, very arrogant nature about them, that, that machismo, that sort of unapologetic need to be the best. Like they're there, they're not content just to be amongst the best naval fighter pilots in Top Gun. They need to be the best of the best. That's, so they have that in common. And sort of that unapolished nature about that's what that's what they're there for and that's what they're gonna get and that's it. But the Val Kilmer character, you could see Iceman's point in that Maverick's reputation for you know flying in the face of orders and sort of ignoring his superiors and kind of doing what he wants anyway, and his talent being able to make up for that. But be, flying with this guy, if it's a matter of every time these, these guys have one of the most dangerous jobs in the world, right? Point, even if nothing goes wrong or they're not facing off against an enemy, what they do going up in those airplanes is extremely dangerous. So you want to have somebody that you could rely on. Maverick is sort of a wild card. You know, he has this reputation even in practices, even in drills to just do whatever he wants to do. He gets away with it on sheer talent. But you could imagine being frightened to go up with somebody like that because you never know what they're going to do. You know, they're completely they're completely out of their minds, almost. And also being a little scared of probably, think about something that you're really good at. Could be anything. Some Somebody who's seemingly equally as good as you, but has a much different style. You could see that being a scary thing for Iceman. Like, I'm really good at this too. What makes this guy... You know the the way this guy does, the way he handles himself, is completely foreign to me. Even though we're two of the best, so you could see that being a frightening thing of never knowing what you're going to get, especially in a life or death situation. So I don't think I, I think in fact, if Iceman carried himself different, you'd be really sympathetic to Iceman, and it would probably make the Maverick character look like the antagonist. You know, if Iceman was like more, a little kinder, a little gentler, like you like know, a like Jedi Maverick, Knight or something. Yeah, can you like can we can we work something out? Like you can't be doing this, man. Like trying to almost be like functioning in a therapy type, a therapist type way to Maverick, where it's like, I know you got these problems, dude, but but because Iceman is just as bombastic as Maverick, you know, you see you get that rivalry and you don't really know who to root for. You know, you're rooting for Maverick only because you know more of his history. You know, I think it's gonna be extremely I just found out that Val Kilmer reprises his role of Iceman and Maverick. Now, he's an admiral, apparently, now. No spoilers. I just read this. And Tom Cruise is like, Maverick is like a test pilot slash goes back to Top Gun, goes back to Miramar or whatever, or I guess they're in Nevada now, for as an instructor, as a Top Gun instructor. So it's going to be really interesting to see the dynamic between the two now and if they were really friends. I like that there was an icy relationship, apparently, between Val Kilmer and Tom Cruise, even on set. like They were very antagonistic and that rivalry in real life or that or, or that sort of cold icy thing they kept that between themselves and it is a little uncomfortable and awkward when they're interacting in the locker room and stuff in the movie you could really see that there you know there's something that exists there that goes beyond acting for the screen like there is something there is a little uneasiness between the two which i think is cool
1: yeah it is and i don't think Val Kilmer gets his due in this film because it, it, it's he's great in this and
2: yeah he really I mean
1: I saw that too when I was reading about the new one and I'm excited to see their interactions with each other as well but to me Iceman is the voice of reason in the movie just from a plot perspective I understand we're not we shouldn't really be analyzing it this deeply but and we're going to analyze it even deeper in a minute because (laughs) there's there's obviously a complete people think there's a massive motif in this in this film which we'll talk about but
2: I know where we're going but yeah I I wanted, to, you know
1: what, I want to touch on this now. I was going to save it to the, towards the end, but it's it just stopping us from talking about a few others. So let me just read this now. OK, Paul Dunn wrote in and said, hey, guys, a simple but difficult one for you both. What would your call sign be? <laughs> Mine would be Irish on account of being from Ireland. So I don't think you choose your own, but I could be wrong on that. Certainly in Battlestar Galactica, they're not choosing their own. Right. But I don't know if I think you're named by someone else. But I actually have a list of the names here. OK. And in the in the movie so we have maverick iceman goose viper jester cougar wolfman slider stinger merlin hollywood sundown chipper ghost rider and then there's a few others so charlie technically is one i guess mustang is the radio operator and then there's a few others that they mentioned blade texan rat and then i read here that heater wizard and tombstone I guess were unused okay but I gotta say my favorite is sundown I think that that name is awesome and I love the helmet oh it's so it's cool. a little stunning how much it looks like a Japanese World War II flag yeah it's orange and not red but when I was watching I was like holy shit that looks like a rising sun so maybe not the best look but you know what <laughs> I love that name. I think that name's dope. That's definitely my favorite name out of all of them. And you know what it reminded me a lot of? And I think a lot of hockey fans will appreciate this is there's a culture in hockey amongst goalies where they all have their own helmets and on their team and they all get their own unique paint jobs. There are people like famous artists that do these paint jobs for them that bang around the different leagues. And even when they move from team to team, often they'll keep. A similar motif if they're if they go to another team it'll obviously they won't have like long island or something on their helmet anymore if they're not on the islanders but they might have something else and it reminded me a lot of that like that it there's a similar culture there with your helmet and your and and in this case your call sign and all of that so what's your favorite call sign dig and then what would you want your call sign to be because i still don't really know what what mine would be
2: it's a hard choice right there's so many different ways to take a call sign you could do something just that sounds generally cool which they do in the film. You could do something aerial related. You could do something humorous so that you could do the name of a weapon. You could do the name of a, a fighting move. It could be anything, right? I mean, as long as it sounds cool and it sounds appropriate, you know, it almost like the call sign is almost as important as like the amount of hash marks on the side of the jet. Like how many kills you have, right? Like it's, it's absolutely essential, but I get I, uh, one thing interesting about the movie almost everybody's call sign is cool except for Goose's. How the hell did he get saddled with that? But it also kind of works for him because he's not, you know, you know enough about him that he's not this aggressive sort of character with the same level of, of machismo as maybe an Iceman or a Maverick. Like Goose sort of works for him. And I think his, son, his son's name, Goose's son, played by Miles Teller in the new movie, I think his call sign is going to be Rooster little cooler than goose but not great not great
1: yeah i i the goose one because again it reminds me of hot dog and then but then in battlestar cat is just her name right and she just gets put that but this is what i was talking about with the soviet pilots it would have been cool even if it was all in russian obviously and it would be for them to have all of these things on their planes and cuz i'm sure they had their own culture that was probably similar yeah and absolutely so even if it didn't you didn't read it, it would have been a cool kind of Easter egg to know, to have someone who have known Russian at that time or translate what the different na- their different names were and what it said on their planes. I think that would have been kind of cool. That was like a, a to me, I, I was stunned by how much of a lost opportunity that was. I know that they didn't want to get too. I think they were just trying to make it all faceless. Like they didn't even have the hammer and sickle on them. They had like a red star. Yeah, the so, red star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think they were trying to be as vague as possible to not maybe be as, you know, have that American machismo. Like Rocky IV, for instance, had much more of it. That's a so, good point. 86, yeah.
2: you're kind of kind of starting to come out of the Cold War, but you're still hanging on to those motifs, especially in entertainment, in the films and everything like that. I think, you know, for me, I I, I wrote down a bunch of call signs that I thought would be cool. Icarus. Yeah. Kestrel, cool. right? That I wrote funny ones like Canary, Toucan. Wi- uh, wi- wyvern, I thought would be cool. A sort of yeah, type of be dragon, cool. right? Fastball. Hailstorm was going to be mine. You could go Star Wars. You want to be a Star Wars fanboy, go Wedge. Be Wedge, man.
1: That would be kind of cool right? if there was like a, a pilot named Wedge. Wedge.
2: You know, Vulture. You could do all kind. Of, I mean, the, the sky's the limit, right? No pun. Whoa. Well, no yeah, pun. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, you could really you could do anything with that. You could really go. I, I think it would take me years to think of Morningstar. There's a good one. But, I mean, a little bit satanic, maybe. But hey, yeah, Castlevania. But as scary. Well scary
1: yeah to me it is scary (laughs) i would probably do i would probably do like a i would probably be a funny i'd probably have a funny name if i were a pilot i was thinking micah just named she got a beta fish and she named him cashew which i think is a great name that's
2: cute i saw that
1: yeah and so i was thinking that would be a fun name for like you know (laughs) cashew
2: (laughs) that would be amazing pink (laughs) balloon pink balloon. that's ariel that's an aerial thing. Flamingo
1: would be a well, maybe. Be Flamingo
2: nice. would, be, would be amazing. That would be. That would be it. awesome if that's you were it. like a
1: just like a sh- yeah like a straight man fighter pilot, and everyone has their own like little paint, and but your helmet is like pink. <laughs> That'd be dope. <laughs> that's a Flamingo. good. That's a good
2: thought. The aesthetic yeah, is like something that. that could inform the name too, you know. But also, it's kind of like why look badass to your peers? Like you want to look badass to the enemy pilots, but they're never going to know your call sign, you know? So right, it is that's interesting. how they got that picture. It's kind of uh, self-indulgent.
1: No, <laughs> oh, totally. It really it totally is. is. So, definitely. It's, it's the same. I, I feel like I, I don't know much about the Air Force, but there's been a tradition going back before the Air Force with World War II when it was the Army. Just even writing things on missiles and like all the shit they wrote on the nuclear bomb. Sure. That we tra- Yeah, good. Point. <laughs> they like all signed it and like wrote, you know, special delivery on it and shit like
2: that and. Pretty wild. And we still do that to this day. I love, I kind of, it's, it's, it's troubling in a way, but I love the humanity in that. You know, it's like whether it's a vengeful thing or an aggressive thing or, you know, whatever it is. Like, yeah. It's, 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 uh, I mean, our grandfather used to paint pinup girls on the side of bombers and carriers and stuff like that. You know what I mean? And the cargo planes and stuff. So it's like, you know, that's just the way. I love the aesthetic. We talked about that before on the show. I don't remember which episode it is, but the aesthetic is such a big part of it. And also, you know, these guys work really hard. Again, physically, some of the best specimens on the planet, right? They go through school. They have to go through college. They have to get in. They have to train. They have to go through flight school. They have to pass all those tests. I guess the last payoff, that very final bit is getting your call sign, especially if it's something that's assigned to you. I think that's kind of a cool little capping off of the whole thing, of the whole feat. Of becoming a fighter pilot which is not an easy thing let alone a top gun pilot one of the best i mean you know dig
1: let's talk about what a lot of people wrote in about harry jackson wrote in and said this film is routinely read as a gay text nowadays despite the fact that maverick is plainly a heterosexual on the surface level of plot detail having an unab- unambiguous sexual relationship with a woman." Do you think the popularity of the gay reading and the current discourse says much about the nature of masculinity in the 21st century? Was there something unique or different about the way men interacted in the 1980s that made sweaty shirtless volleyball games and talking to other dudes half naked in communal changing rooms less inherently gay than it's any quote puts in quotes than it is today than it seems today? It's an interesting question because I didn't know this about the movie. Actually, when I started when I started going through the questions we got and I read that a few people inserted a question about this, I was like, really, I didn't. Even know that that was a reading, and then I found out that one of the major, or there's, I guess, several major players, but Tarantino is one of them that actually like has this theory about Top Gun. So, what do you think about this reading of Top Gun as being a so-called you know gay text?
2: Yeah, Tarantino famously bandied about this context, uh, this whole potential perspective or context of the movie not too long ago. I think it was like five years ago that he started doing this, and it is an interesting take. But think about it. Th- and, and you could see that, right? The guys in the towels in the locker room. Certainly the volleyball scene. The, play- the whole song of playing with the boys and everything like that. Playing with the boys. It's a funny thing to think about, right? I honestly don't, if we're, if we're being serious, I don't think it was really intentional. And I think there's a couple of things here. First of all, if the four main dudes, right, you have Iceman, Slider, goose and maverick if those guys weren't attractive would it read the same if they're in their towels in the locker room that you know they're young attack attractive physically fit dudes we know we already know they're fighter pilots so they they're these superheroes amongst men if it's the same thing when anthony soprano and his lawyer are taking a sweat right in the in the russian bathhouses. does it read that way you know what i mean it's a it's it's the context it's the presentation it's the lighting it's it's that sort of tension between the characters anyway, this vying, this competition. And also, if you just straight up take the volleyball scene out. Now, the volleyball scene is egregious. I'm not saying it isn't. Right, right. It's quite campy, actually. Oh, you know, yeah, you even have definitely. Slider doing that pose, like the scene where yeah, he's doing all- the, po- the muscle pose in slow motion. It's awesome. But yeah. he's also, that character is interesting because that character is actually pretty, a pretty big muscle-bound dude. But although Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer are fit guys, they're much more slender. And Anthony Edwards' character is wearing a shirt. So even taking, removing the volleyball scene, I would argue, but even removing like Slider from the volleyball scene, would it read the same? Would you have that same thing? And it, mm. you have the other shirtless dudes in the bleachers cheering on. And of course, you have the musical accompaniment, which doesn't help the case. But Well, Kenny Loggins, yeah. I think really what they were going for, though, was appealing again to that coolness the shades the bomber jacket the motorcycle the beers the the picking up women in the bar of course the fighter jets you know the muscles the fashion you know the everything even down to san diego you know the 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 palm trees silhouetted against the the dusk sky like it just it just all reads like a Like a cool guy, like this is the place to be. This is how to dress. This is what to drive. This is what to drink. This is how you act when you pick up women in the bar. Like it was just really what it was really targeting was coolness. And it comes off as it does have those homosexual overtones, though. I mean, it's almost impossible not to read into it that way. But I think you take a strategically excise, you know, a couple of things on the cutting room floor, and I think you can make it read much different.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Angie.
1: I'm glad that we, I guess, can talk for a moment about the volleyball scene because it is so iconic. I actually was I don't know if you remember this. I did a why I was I didn't do it, but I was in a shot for shot remake of that volleyball scene. I forgot about that in like 2009 or 2010. Yeah, that Greg and I did that Scott Bromley filmed. And I don't know why we did it. I don't know to what end that was done, but (laughs) that was fun. And I and watching it again. I was like, holy shit. I didn't remember Tom Cruise. Why is Tom Cruise wearing jeans? That's it's so right. weird. I, I was like, this is so <laughs> weird. And because he's a maverick. Right, exactly. He can't do anything the right way. But 10 yeah, degrees. The, but that scene is very strange, no doubt. And I think that that's kind of indicative of what people say about this film in terms of it being a little disjointed. It, it, it is a little disjointed. It just bounces around when you think about the hour and 50 minutes they have or so to spend. And so much of it is spent in combat. And then a lot of it is spent in just exposition then necessarily, by the way, because they spend so much time in combat that they have to get the exposition out. And then there's just time for these random scenes. And that just happens to be one of them. Another one is, I mean, they pick up Charlie or whatever, but the whole bar scene singing the song and all is very weird and campy, too. And I love that bar scene for a lot of different reasons. The characters, the different people in there are awesome. The outfits are awesome. The, the, the decor is so 80s. It's like gray, vertical, you know under under lighting and all of that and i i i know i say this a lot and i don't mean to be mean about it but because it's not mean, but man women looked so old in in this movie like i was talking to micah about it. i was like how old do you think charlie's supposed to be i was like is she in her mid-20s micah's like maybe she's in like her 30s because she's like a phd and all that and i was like okay maybe but she looks so much older than that and I agree. It's no insult to her. No. It's just that was and Micah described it as saying like that the makeup was just so much harsher then. That's a and big part of it. It but it's like we've said this before, it it seemed like people wanted to grow up at that time and and they made themselves so old, and now it's kind of like growing down, like where you want to look like you're Total basically opposite. like a teenager. You know? So what do you make of, of all of all you know, take it however you want you
2: know, you know, it's interesting. It I was gonna ask you about how old do you think Pete Mitchell character is the Maverick character because that's something I never really thought about before watching it again last night
1: I don't know maybe maybe late 20s something like that. that's what
2: I would think I would think he's still in his 20s and that the Charlie character is a little older than him which they sort of intimate but she's also comes to that bar with an older dude it turns out that I think they're just talking about Top Gun they're just it's a business type of thing it's not a date with that particular dude but Maverick does make a comment of like lose the old dude and get with the young dude type thing So I was curious about that. Yeah, I think Mike is absolutely right about just the 80s sort of aesthetic for women. The makeup, I think, is one thing. I think the hairstyles is another thing. I think trying, that whole thing of trying to look older, whether it's the outfits, the shoulder pads, more quote-unquote masculine clothing, where if you think of women's dress harkening back to previous decades, 70s, 60s, 50s, certainly 40s and 30s, it was much more feminine. The 80s sort of took on a more masculine look that was fashionable for women, whether it was slacks or blouses or whatever type of thing, button-down bla- uh, shirts. So I think that was a big part of it. And, you know, just trying to purposely, trying to purposely look older. I love the fact, too, of, of you bringing up the musical numbers, the Great Balls of Fire sequence in the bar, you lost that loving feeling, and, of course, playing with the boys. Those are the only really three moments of levity those sort of three Hmm. musical numbers in the entire film. It's a pretty heavy film because you have what Maverick's dealing with, with his dad, his reputation and sort of his mania of like being driven to be the best at all costs. You have then that kind of dovetails a little later with goose's death. And then Maverick sort of trying to get back on the horse and the drama with, you know, Charlie leaving San Diego for DC and the whole thing of the relationship, not really working out. It's a little bit melancholy of a film. So if you take out these three musical numbers, they really need, did need to be peppered in there for some sort of semblance of levity, you know, some sort of happiness, some, some tone of like not j- just a dire like tragic <laughs> sort of feel to the movie, which the movie does take on a very melancholy, generally a very melancholy air, I think, for three quarters of it. The music,
1: I mean, talking more about the music, the soundtrack, I mean, we have to talk about that, although it only revolves around a few songs nandan patil wrote into us and said hello moriarty brothers two rapid fire questions here favorite top gun song and then he says favorite top gun character but we have to really stick with the song here i'm curious which of the songs resonates with you i I can't imagine how it wouldn't be danger zone and what's so interesting about that song is how many people were supposed to sing it or, or perform it like Kenny Loggins, who I love, and obviously Kenny Loggins was doing big hits before this. I'm right? right. From Caddyshack is like six years before. this. Right. That's right. Ex- example. Sure. Which is a great song. And I love Kenny Loggins. But he was like their seventh choice or something like that. It's nuts how many people turned this song down or like weren't able to perform it. Toto, apparently who I love, was going to do it. And they apparently had beef like their lawyers apparently had beef with Top Gun, like the people representing Bruckheimer. Oh, wow. And so like that. And then Corey Hart was supposed to be one of the people oh, that did it. And Ario Speedwagon was offered the song. Big name. Brian Adams what? was offered the song. And when I think about this, I was like, Brian Adams has nothing to really lose. These are all big bands. Corey Hart probably had the most to lose here. Mm. But when you look back, it's like, holy shit, you guys passed on Danger Zone. I understand that you wanted to write your own songs or whatever, but Danger Zone is a fucking amazing song. Oh, and it's one of those songs that just gets my attention every time it's on. It's just the production is so good in the song. Gets a little long, like after the first verse and the first chorus, I'm kind of over it. But it's very similar to Final Countdown by um by Europe in that I I am really into it for like a minute and then I'm like all right, I'm done. All right,
2: this is enough. This but, is enough,
1: dude. Like the production, like the his voice and like the the ding 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 ding, ding, ding you know, just in the background, and like the and the and the the electric toms and all of that. It's just so good. But of course, there are a couple of other songs worth noting in here as well. And I think the one that obviously we brought up playing with the boys, also a Kenny Loggins song, but yeah, Berlin's Take My Breath Away. And what's interesting is that. And I was looking at the soundtrack listing because I was like, there really aren't any songs in this movie. It's just with the ones you, you know, you, you, you've lost that loving feeling, all that stuff. But it really all revolves around like the Danger Zone kind of music, the Take My Breath Away music and then kind of their theme score. And that's basically it. But it just so happens that those two songs are like dominant 80s songs and are part of the reason that Top Gun is such a phenomenon. Those singles were released from this movie. Yes. And those are the biggest songs that Kenny Loggins and Berlin ever did. And Berlin's not a very big band compared to Kenny Loggins. But yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. So what do you make of the soundtrack and all that?
2: I love Danger Zone. I mean, Danger Zone... Take my breath away. They're characters in the movie. I mean, they went on again. Like you left the theater, you 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 popped out the VHS tape. You went in the car. You turn on the radio. One of these songs would be on. It was such a momentous companionship of media. Like one of the first movies I could think of, where the 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 soundtrack and the actors and the film itself go all go kind of go hand in hand to just make you feel like 1986 all over again. Like it really. This this whole the music takes me back to 1986. It really does. And you're right about Danger Zone is a proper anthem. It has that anthemic quality. You hear Danger Zone, you automatically think of Top Gun, Tom Cruise, fighter jets, San Diego, you know, the sun, the sun sets in San Diego, palm trees silhouetted against the ocean sky. Same with Take My Breath Away. And it's funny that, you know, you have this pulse pounding song like Danger Zone, and then you have this really melancholy, very melancholy song like Take My Breath Away. What I love about Danger Zone. It makes you realize about Kenny Loggins. You think about Kenny Loggins. Think about the '80s. I always think about that this time period, very Miami's Miami Vice type feel to everything he does. But he really has a handle on making catchy music. Like, say what you want about you know proper artists or indie or all all the music that we love, from hip hop to shoegaze to punk rock to everything you know, alternative, anything that we like that we enjoy, electronic, synth, but. There's something really interesting about top 40 music or music that could captivate the largest amount of people, the largest amount of ears, listeners. And Kenny Loggins really has that in spades. I think I talked about, he talked about something that I saw where he was sort of, interestingly enough, channeling Donna Summer for Danger Zone. And he even makes fun of himself, like the way he pronounces Danger Zone, like Danger, Danger Zone. Like he has almost like this, weird accent that he did on purpose no one ever admits that they do that on purpose but Kenny Long was like I was purposely doing that because of what like Donna Summer being inspired by Donna Summer and some of the stuff she was doing some of the funk stuff she was doing and you know what when you listen to it it totally makes sense and it's so cool that he's that candid about it you know he's like yeah I was like you know like now it's funny but like back then it just worked you know it was it was inspired
1: yeah I I love that song and I love Kenny Loggins, incredibly talented staple oh, of that era. Gotta have him. I wanted to ask you, Dig, about how you felt about the filming of the the movie, specifically these aerial shots and the cockpit shots. How do you feel like they contributed to the film and, and the visual flair? But I feel like this is where the movie obviously is, is shines the most for most people.
2: The cinematography is beautiful. I mean, that's really that was really Tony Scott's calling card coming into this, was his cinematography coming out of music videos and commercials. It's gorgeous. I mean, it really holds up. And, you know, everything from the lighting to the shot composition, all of that, this movie has all of that in spades. It's It's really a gorgeous movie to look at. And I love the fact that they had the cooperation of the United States Navy for the personnel, for the pilots and the instructors and the materiel, like the planes. And, you know, to sort of, they... They didn't handle things re- as realistically as they could have, but they had that basis. They had that foundation. They had the equipment. They had the people. And that was really cool because I found out about my other favorite fighter jet series of the 80s, the Iron Eagle series. Maybe sometime we'll talk about it. But something interesting about those films, and now that, that center on the Air Force, those center on F 16 Fighting Falcons, not Tomcats. But they did not have the cooperation of the US Air Force for those films. And they had to go out, the the uh, filmmakers had to go out to Israel and get Israeli planes and the Israeli Air Force to sort of cooperate with them and help them out with the stuff that they needed. So that was really cool in this. And I love the fact that they were really faithful in getting, I think with the exception of Val Kilmer, who wouldn't do it, they got Cruz and Anthony Edwards and all the rest of the guys to go up and train, especially Tom Cruise, in fighter planes to get the feel of it you know, to go at Mach speed and do aerial combat maneuvers and all that kind of stuff in the air to really sort of get grounded in what it really meant to be a fighter pilot during this era. And then they also rigged up a lot of really cool things that, you know, this uh, 360 camera thing where they rigged up this cockpit with rear and front projection and, you know, rigging for cameras and a light source and everything that they can move around and make it look realistic for those sort of studio shots where they had to get the guys you know in the cockpit for you know communicating and freaking out and uh and talking back and forth to each other which i thought was really cool when you see the making of it i think it really holds up you know i think and also the Definitely. miniatures that they did for the the combat sequences explosions and so forth really good stuff like did you in watching this Kyle, did you feel like all of that held up like even by today's standards it didn't have a lot of digital Definitely. stuff happening here
1: Definitely. The only scene that that looks funny to me is when Goose dies. Okay. Other than that, because they they kind of have to slow down to there. You can tell in editing that they probably it wasn't reading. Maybe they got notes or something. I don't know for sure. But yeah, you can tell that they like they show the cockpit kind of happening and Goose kind of hitting it. But then they like kind of show it again. I don't know if you noticed. Yes. And it's like slower and more zoomed in. And at that point, I'm like, this looks really bad. I know what you mean. But everything, everything else looks awesome. And right on down to them splashing down. It looks great. Yeah. And the green in the water and them going getting getting by uh, acquired by the choppers and all that. So, yeah, it's really great. And I totally agree from a visual standpoint. This is why going through the trouble of doing practical effects is just so worth it. It's why Star Wars still holds up all these years later. And it's why Top Gun holds up and a lot of others as well. I'll be interested to see the new one. We'll talk about that in a little while in terms of if that's going to be more visual from a computer point of view or from a practical point of view, I don't really know yet, but I wanted to ask you Dave, about some of the quotes. This is a very quotable movie. And (laughs) I, I actually feel like sometimes there are a couple quotes in here. that I don't think people realize comes from, come from this movie. So one of the things that I, I totally forgot about is negative ghost rider comes from this movie. And I don't know, like people say, I don't know if you've been around people that say that, like, well, they'll just say like negative ghost rider. Like that comes from this movie, which is cool. And of course they have the, I feel the need, the need for speed, which is very, very campy and, but, but iconic. And of course, take me to better, lose me forever is a famous,
2: that's a huge one
1: quote. And then I just, this is not a famous quote, but I wrote this one down. So when he's talking to Viper or uh, like when Maverick and Viper are talking at Viper's house, Viper says this to him, he says, You're a lot like he was. He's talking about his father. You're a lot like he was, only better. And then when he said that, in my mind, I'm like, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. And then he says, and worse. (laughs) So what do you think about some of these, uh, uh, any any quotes that stand out to you? Such a
2: mystical quote, right? Well, you know what's funny about talking about take me to bed or lose me forever? It reminds me of Meg Ryan's character. And sort of how it's a departure from when everything we said about 80s women because she feels so young to me in this movie. Yeah, it makes the It makes her and possibly even Goose feel like they're really young which really plays out the tragedy of him dying. You know, she, she's so vibrant and sort of, um, I don't know, like playful and like jovial the way she, the way she, like you could tell she's a young wife and a young mom and that kind of flies in the face of everything we just said about 80s women. Like, Meg Ryan's really kind of good in this. She's not in it a lot. But that reminds me, that quote certainly reminds me of her. And I think the whole you lost that loving feeling thing, even though it's a song, obviously, I think that scene is so iconic that that chorus of that song is almost meme worthy. And and a quote that makes you automatically take you right back to Top Gun, even though that song was decades old by the time it showed up in Top Gun, which is interesting. And I have the need the need for speed. It was almost like, one of those 80s quotes in a film that seems like it was injected on purpose to be a quote you know to be to sort of withstand the test of time for decades on after like it's so interesting like this movie really had that really had that going for it
1: bo wrote in about well he has the final comment i have from the audience we have much more to talk about if we want but he says holy shit it's long island viper you guys finally bring up films and you were, in, you were introduced to it at a young age. I carried this VHS to and from my grandparents' house at an obscenely young age. Thankfully, no one batted an eye then as child me was locked in on Maverick and Charlie's music video sex. I adore this, music, this movie. Cannot wait for the sequel and cannot wait to hear you sons of bitch talk about it. So we, there's two things here I want to talk about. First, I wrote in my notes and it's funny because I totally forgot about the sex scene and I don't know what I was thinking. But I did write before that where I was like, I feel like this movie kind of tastefully deals with sex. And even after I watched that scene, I never I don't like seeing pelvic thrusting and shit like I just. Yeah. You know, it's a little much uh, and I know I'm very prudish in this way, but even then I was kind of counting that the seconds they don't say on that 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 scene very long. It's like a 30 second scene or something like that. And I found it compared to many films, both then and now and TV shows now just much more tasteful. I just don't need to see it. And. Apart from that scene, you really don't. It's it's much more tasteful in some way, like saying, take me to bed or lose me forever is gives me all I need to know about the fact that Goose and Meg Ryan are going to go fuck each other. Right. Like, I don't need to see now a two minute scene of that. And I like the implication there. So I I dig that. Is there do you have anything to say about about the sexualization in the movie? Classy
2: restraint. I think it's really interesting For as aggressive as Tom Cruise's character, we talked about this a little earlier in the show. Like he follows her into the bathroom. He seems to be like maybe even a little (laughs) crossing over into like a little bit rapey potentially. Yeah. He doesn't sleep with her that first that first night when she makes him dinner at the house. He thanks her for dinner and she and he leaves. You know, which is actually you know there's the one scene. Now I will say I get very impatient. We talk about this on the podcast from time to time. I get very impatient with the sex scenes. I just every time this happens in this film, I just want to see. I'm just like where the where the planes. You know, again, channeling twelve-year-old Dagan. But the one sort of egregious, sexy scene in this is the f- close-up, silhouetted French kissing scene. You know, they do do the tongue and silhouette. Yeah it's, yeah. it's like, and that just takes me back to like really being like twelve years old in the movie theater, being like, "Where are the jets? You know, like where are I want to see like missiles yeah, watching and people- Mig's."
1: Watching people kiss has never been oh. hot to me. I'm like, I don't need to see. This is too much.
2: I understand you know? this romance. You got the movie. You got the the musical accompaniment. Take my breath away. It's that iconic. Se- but, and the atmosphere. You know, that San Diego beach atmosphere. Sun-setting. Sure. setting. But, I don't need it. I just want to see some Jets.
1: No, totally. I'm on and, board and for the it, Jets. We all understand how to get porn if we want it. We, we've figured <laughs> that out by now. So, exactly, yeah, I, though. It sounds yeah. funny, but you're right.
2: Like, that's what I I want to watch.
1: And that's why I feel like it's important to spend a little bit of time on love romance. I, I like diet, like bed dialogue and all of that. I think they do a really nice job of it. in John Adams, the HBO miniseries about showing how much him and Abigail love each other without really ever except for once kind of showing explicit sex in the movie and or in the TV show. And I just kind of yeah, it's classier, sure, and easier for people to watch. Sure. But I just don't think that kind of stuff adds to the story. I'll just keep repeating that the camera panning up love is important attraction is important sex is important but don't let's not linger on it and I feel like this movie generally does a pretty good job of that the other thing that Bo asked in the question was about the sequel now the sequel is supposed to be out already comes out later this year November or November yeah so holiday season ish I have no interest in really seeing it I'm sure I'll see it when it comes to VOD but I don't think this is this is one of the movies that I feel like they showed a lot of restraint not returning to. I am sure the pressure was high to return to this. You're talking about a movie that cost like 15 million dollars to make and they made almost 400 million dollars on it. Amazing. So they could literally triple the price, the cost of the movie, which I'm sure they would have been glad to do and make half that back in a sequel. And they would have been happy to do that as well. So I felt like it was. it. That's appropriate that it was never revisited. And I, I'm a little fear, fearful about this new Top Gun because. Independence Day, which we still haven't done for some reason, but is a top 25 movie for me. I love Independence Day. One. The Independence Day sequel is so bad that it's maybe one of and no joke, one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. And and one of the major disappointments in film for me, because I love Independence Day and I loved the idea of the aliens being no one ever thought about Independence Day. Like, well, the, the aliens aren't dead. They just they're their invading force was just conquered. <laughs> So, of course, it's awesome to be like, well, they're coming back. And I loved that. And then they ruined it. They ruined it in a million different ways. And so I don't know if they're going to ruin this with Top Gun. But I must say, let's not forget, there is a blatant Taiwanese flag on the back of Tom Cruise's jacket in Top Gun and in the new one. And they had to go back and edit that out of the trailer for play in China. So I already don't like this movie, but I'm wondering how you and I'm dead serious about that. Unacceptable. That Taiwanese flag like that, that UN flag or whatever that he has on the back with yeah. like the American flag and the Japanese. flag. That's like an iconic piece oh, of his huge. fighter jacket. And because China doesn't want to acknowledge Taiwan as a country, we can't have that on his yeah. fighter jacket now.
2: They want to so, incite any shit.
1: Yeah, they can go get fucked. I'll, I'll, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to put a big Taiwanese flag in every one of my games now, but where do you stand on the sequel? How are you feeling about it?
2: I'm excited. My curiosity is piqued, I have to say. Tom Cruise coming back, being very involved. I love the F-A-18 Super Hornet. It's one of my favorite jets. It's kind of what replaced the F-14 for the Navy, the U.S. Navy in real life. You got Ed Harris. Johnny Ham is in here. Jennifer Connelly, who just we just discussed on uh, our Labyrinth episode. Oh, John Hamm's in it. John Hamm's remember, in it. Yes, yeah, so you, got, you got some players in here that I'm very interested about of course, Al Kilmer coming back as ice. And, you know, it's seemingly a story that's centered around goose's son, who we see as a little kid in this movie. Again, his call sign is supposedly rooster and Tom Cruise coming back as a top, top gun instructor. And the whole thing of like, you know, thank you for inviting me back. And the guy, the, uh, the admirals like they're called order orders maverick <laughs> like the whole thing of like maverick still being maverick as an older guy it, like it's it, it's it i'm i'm excited i'm excited but also i'm super fanboy for the f18 fa18 so it's got me it's got it's it's got its hooks sure. in me you know so and you know it's been put off for so long we've had the trailer for well over a year i think already and the fact that we have to wait another four or five months is kind of excruciating to be honest
1: yeah they, they really wanted to put it off i guess for for covid and we need a good block for buster. theatrical release I yeah like. we do and, and obviously we're seeing drama at the time we're filming this with black widow and scarlett johansson f- suing I disney over that and this. all that so how crazy it's, is it's, that it's coming to a head with you know di- direct to to audience access sure and i'm i'm personally very pleased about it though one actually there's one more thing i, I wrote in here that i did want to ask you about i felt like the ending is very disjointed as if it almost doesn't need to happen okay and like we don't we need I guess we in some way need to see Maverick save Iceman in quotes and them kind of thaw out their relationship. But it seems so sudden like it's there. And and I want to also say and I couldn't stop saying this when I was watching it to Micah where I just kept saying this would be a catastrophe if this actually happened. The <laughs> You have F-14s or whatever and MiGs fighting over the Indian Ocean and shooting each other down. And I was saying, like, everyone's like very nonchalant when they come back. And I'd be like, holy shit. Like, are, are there like I wouldn't be surprised if you landed on the on the aircraft carrier and they're like 10 intercontinental ballistic nuclear missiles are launching from Siberian bases towards the United Absolutely. States right now. And. I, I was just so taken aback by the nonchalantness of it. I'm like, what the fuck? They just the first time it's kind of cool because I imagine that that kind of stuff happened in our stepfather. Larry was a naval officer, and he talks about how there would be like encounters with the Soviets. Oh, sure, and, and they like they would sometimes like trade with each other and do all sorts of shit like clandestine because they were they were both like we don't want to fight each other. And, I know, you know. Do you have cigarettes? Do you have porn? Do you have like whatever it was? They're people, and right, exactly. Which is another reason why it would have been cool to see the Soviet faces and like who they actually were. Sure, but. So I, I like the the way it begins where they kind of like the the Migs and the and the aircraft, the American aircraft are kind of fucking with each other and stalking each other. I'm sure that that ha- still happens. And in fact, I think does happen. You I'm read sure. about it every once in a while. Right. Where they kind of like start fucking with each other, but no one engages. But the end is a full on dogfight. And I was just taken aback. I was like, what the fuck? I, I just was so and they have this one piece of exposition that actually made me laugh out loud. To explain it away where they were like, oh, the, the Soviets didn't even acknowledge. That that ever happened, and you're, you're on the front page of every paper or whatever. And I'm like, this would be a the U.N. Security Council would be called. Can you the, imagine? There would be like NATO would be engaged and all this. So did, you, did that strike you at all as weird? Because I, I don't know if I was struck by that as a kid, but as, as an adult, I was like, this is actually unbelievable. I don't even know. How this is possible that this would have actually happened. It's
2: so funny. It actually yeah. is, when you really think about it, it's funny. I mean, the whole thing here, the whole mission was to relinquish the rivalry between Iceman and Maverick, right? You had to do that in some way. One one of them was going to win or get the upper hand, or they had to be seen effectively working together, which is the way it pays off, right? So you get this very vague enemy again, this very vague mission. I think James Tolkien is like, it's a rescue operation Is a disabled American ship. I don't, we don't know what kind of ship it is. Is it a carrier? Is it a warship of some kind of battleship, a carrier, you know, a uh, a gunship. We have no idea. And you're going to be providing escort for the ships going in for the rescue. We don't know anything else. But we do know <laughs> that the Soviets kind of come in extremely overpowered, hostile, very aggressive. They 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 have I think 3 sh- 3 uh Planes to the Americans won. I think they, they it's like six to two or something. And you have this whole thing where it's like Maverick has to. A lot of things have to happen in the scene. Maverick has to kind of um, let Goose go. He's got to effectively sort of be able to traverse the peril of the dogfight. He goes into the blind spin again. He comes out of it. He's flying. There's also a resolve with flying with the Rio. Uh, Merlin is his Rio, who's the Rio of Cougar in the opening scene. So there's this whole thing of him flying with different, with different wingmen, with different Rios, I should say. And you know, he, we see Maverick go through it. He goes, you know, look what happens to poor Sundown on the tarmac after that encounter. He's like, I'll oh, engage when I'm ready to engage. Almost beats the shit out of Sundown, poor Sundown <laughs> on the on the tarmac on the on the deck. But if that's what this whole scene was about, you had to see some sort of cooperation obviously between Iceman and Maverick and that's what you get it feels very rushed even the celebration down on the on the ground afterwards afterwards where you see like you could be my wigman, you know screw that you could be mine like type of thing and the very mysterious thing with Tim Robbins playing the Merlin character I can't even tell it's him when he's in the cockpit Right. So all of a sudden, it's like, where the hell did Tim Robbins come from? But apparently, yeah. it was him in the <laughs> yeah, cockpit. No, it I don't. I don't know. Yeah, it's hysterical. You're you know, actually it's so right. funny. The ending is really the weak spot, I think, of this of this film. But you know, I guess it leaves things open ended for a sequel. It's amazing that it took the sequel this long. You actually have to kind of wonder: was it a monetary consideration? Like, I can't imagine Paramount. Or Tom Cruise or anybody needing more money, but it's so far in between sequels. I don't know. Or is it that very modern day thing of like rehashing things for nostalgia's sake? You know, we do that with the show, but we don't do it to the tunes of millions of dollars. We just talk about people doing stuff.
1: No, of course it 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 is. It's like I said earlier. I I think there must have been some restraint shown to not just do it immediately Mm. and. Maybe everyone became I would imagine everyone became you cannot make Top Gun for 15 million dollars if everyone knows that's involved in Top Gun that it's going to gross 400 million dollars. You know what I mean? Right. So I think that was probably a thing, too, where it's like I'm not coming back for five hundred thousand dollars or whatever or whatever I get or some fraction of a point on box office gross. It's not going to happen. No, and I think that probably made it really complicated, too. It you is have Bruckheimer. You have Tom Cruise. You have a lot of big names involved in there, like a lot of powerhouses even at that time. Yes. Involved in this. Absolutely.
2: So. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Dig is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to mention before we. You know I do
2: want to sing the praises of I think the most important character in this film. The F-14A Tomcat. Such an icon of the 80s. Such an iconic 80s vehicle right. And just in researching it a little bit more and just learning more about it in service from the early seventies. I think it's first flight. I think it was ready by like the early seventies. It's first flight in service was 74. They ran this thing with, you know, evolving technology and increases in radar and engine tech and even body modifications all the way through 2006. I think again, replaced by the F a 18 Hornet, which the new movie will pick up on. But Such a long-running thing, such an icon and inspired the G.I. Joe Sky Striker, inspired the Macross Valkyrie Fighter, such an important pop culture, nerd culture piece of tech, the F-14. And the thing that I'm most proud of, Grumman, Long Island's own Grumman. I wanted to read this to you, Kyle. Now, Grumman, military contractor, engineering company. Let me read this to you. I pulled this up for you and I thought you would find this interesting. I wasn't sure if you were going to go down a Grumman rabbit hole, but Grumman created the F-14 on Long Island. And here's a little something about Grumman. For much of the Cold War period, Grumman was the largest corporate employer on Long Island. Grumman's products were considered so reliable and ruggedly built that the company was often referred to as the Grumman Ironworks. I never knew this before. As the company grew, it moved to Valley Stream, which is far western Long Island, just outside of Queens. Then Farmingdale, New York, which is the center of Long Island. And then finally Bethpage, New York, not too far away from Farmingdale. With the testing and final assembly of the F-14 at the 6,000-acre Naval Weapons Station in in Calverton, New York, which is eastern Long Island, not too far from where our dad lives. At its peak in 1986, same year as the movie, Grumman employed 23,000 people on Long Island and occupied 6 million square feet in structures on over 100 acres, that at least from the US Navy. I thought that was super interesting. So for our Long Island listeners, a bit of Long Island pride.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, they are a Long Island company. I didn't know that they were employing so many people it also makes a little bit of sense with the fusion of Brookhaven national lab out there and a bunch of other secret clandestine camp hero and a bunch of we always talk about we got to do a show just on long island one day and about how just inherently creepy it is (laughs) and that explains why (laughs) long island is pretty or part of why i think explains why long island is pretty still pretty moneyed if you're getting paid by if you're a government contractor an engineer aeronautics all that kind of stuff high earning bills and how that all kind of trickles into the society. So maybe it makes a little sense about why Long Island has a reputation for for people having a lot of money, although that's certainly not us. <laughs> so, Dig, let's end this show as we do each and every week with a
2: dad joke. Okay, now, I'm potentially very proud. I may or may not have written my first dad joke. Wow, myself. you're actually
1: coming out of your shell here. Okay, I'm cool. not
2: saying, I, if you like it, I wrote it. If you don't like it, then I didn't write it. That's how this is going to go. Excellent. Is that fair enough? Indeed. Okay. Kyle, what do you call a very intelligent person who lives right on the divide between two states? I don't know. A borderline genius. (laughs) (laughs) I did write it. I like that. That's a great one, but read me the question again. Okay. Kyle, what do you call a very intelligent person? who lives right on the divide between two states
1: okay we got to shorten this so what you got to say it's it's got to be something like what do you call a smart person who lives on the on a state border
2: on a state no because borderline is in the is in the oh that's right so who what about who who lives between texas and mexico could say a specific place
1: yeah exactly you just got to get there a little quicker but it's right good. It's very good. Texas and Mexico. Yeah. yeah, I agree. So, like a very intelligent person to say, "What a smart guy, smart what do you person." Call
2: a smart guy.
1: Yeah, a smart person. Yeah. Uh, yeah, whatever. we don't
2: want to make it a guy. Don't be yeah, sexist. Okay. Right. Of course not.
1: <laughs> oh, and also, I mean, just in closing, you have your A24 shirt on. So, just to get on the record, how do you feel about Lamb?
2: Oh, dude, it's so funny because you tweet, you either texted or tweeted me about it, and I I'd just seen it earlier that day, like a few hours prior. Yeah, I thought it was an Ari Aster movie, because it really has that tone, sort of a cross between, I don't know, it seems like a sequel to The Witch, crossed with like...
1: Hereditary or something.
2: <laughs> yeah, like, I, don't, I was thinking The Witch and like Eraserhead, you know, like something, oh, okay. yeah, sure. something crazy like that, but yeah, it looks weird. I like weird. More than it horror, also...
1: I like strange. Yeah, weird is good. Yeah, strange you know? is good, and it also has like Midsummer vibes too, yes, so it I don't... De- It definitely does. Because it takes place, I think, in Iceland, right? Or something like that. It looks that. like so something it's another, like that. It's got to be so another Scandinavian like that. setting, which is, yeah. I think, very, very freaky as well. It's oh, interesting about is. A24 Ooh.
2: because you have all these visionaries, all these different directors helming different projects, but there's some sort of through line with the tone of their projects as a movie studio. A style, I guess, which is weird. You don't see that usually. You think of a style. You think of Wes Anderson. You think of Tim Burton. You think of Scorsese. You think of somebody with a style. But never a movie studio with all these desperate directors having one through line somehow in the style. It's really strange. But is, I'm indeed. very excited about 824. This is also the worst shirt I've ever bought because the print is not only too low, it's you might not be able to tell on camera. It's also way too far off to one side. And I'm sort of debating whether I'm going to complain about it or not.
1: No, I, you should. I've should had I? a shirt like that. I've had a graphic shirt like that. It's a jet shirt. Okay. From Barstool Sports, which I love, I actually love Barstool Sports. It's it's like a jet logo and it says like Goddamn on it because <laughs> because wow. was always saying goddamn damn jet." Makes sense, and, but it's like so it's like in the middle of the shirt, and I'm like, this is not where the graphic is supposed to go. I didn't complain about it, but I'm like, it's got to be up like two more inches. Yeah, you gotta have it. it does high, look a little it? low. It does look a little low. You should complain about this. It. Is that's low. just bad graphic design. It's the first that's thing like I, opened. Someone, I was like, What? Too well, long. that's like someone saying like, I, I bet you what ended up happening at your shirt is like they put the logo in the exact middle of the template yeah you're really supposed to raise it you don't do that to the top of the template i I don't know if i told you this but i am having custom made t-shirts just for me okay i have a guy making them so i got in touch with this is like a little postscript i guess for our audience i'm friendly with uh the guys that do carlton clothing which is like a big clothing company on long island they do all the long island branding stuff i was in high school with those guys sure and so like that's the long island shirts i always wear that look like a fish and stuff like that yeah of course and so i reached out to them they use these awesome shirts that fit me like a glove and i was like dude what what shirt do you guys use? And he's like, well, this is actually an industry secret, but because it's you, I'll tell you if you're not going to sell it. So he told me what the t-shirt is. So I sourced this t-shirt and I have a graphic designer that I'm working with and we're making like one-off t-shirts just for me. Oh, that's huge. With that shirt. So I'm, I am I have him making like an Astra shirt for me, which is the, the company in Returnal. I have him making like a Firefly shirt from The Last of Us
2: that's and a awesome. bunch of other
1: stuff. And so I'm going to start wearing those soon. That's and uh, so, that's so not for sale, cool.
2: just for me. Just for you. Yeah. Yep. Completely original one offs.
1: Right. Exactly. Smart. And yeah. And and I see I keep seeing things. So I keep seeing logos and writing them down. And one of them was the the logo of like the air training weapons training thing or whatever. I was like, that would be a cool one to get. I want to get things like that, like on shirts, because everyone gets like, you know, Waylon Yutani or whatever the hell it is. from yeah, Waylon Yutani yeah. and all that from Alien and all. That. I want to find like stuff like that to get. Yeah. So something that I, even the, if Cobra, you went to the Cobra Air Force, the oh, Cobra Air Force dude, logo. That
2: That's going to cool. be one. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel you i feel you on it. if you go to a con like somewhere where all the nerds are assembled you still want to be the only one with that shirt that right. should be the that should be the testing grounds right for that exactly yeah very smart dude I'm, it's like I'm when everyone book.
1: started wearing dunder mifflin shirts it's like all right but now it's cool to wear a dunder mifflin shirt right because you waited a little you bit. gotta wait right absolutely all right all right Dave. Well, good job today great dad joke i give it a oh, thumbs up and uh Appreciate all you guys out there for your love, kindness, and support of Knockback and all things Last Stand. Whether you're listening on free feeds, please leave us nice reviews if you do. Subscribe on YouTube and leave us nice comments there. And of course, support us on Patreon. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time for more Knockback. Until then, goodbye. Knockback, a retro and nostalgia podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC, and is recorded from Central Virginia and the Philadelphia suburbs, USA. The show was conceived by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Dagan Moriarty. Knockback's executive producer is Dustin Furman, and the show is edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's shows, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and we're grateful for your kindness and generosity. Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLV FMA, Jorge Palomino, Daniel Diamore, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Jordan Mittman, Tristan Palacios, Graham Plays, Christian Rodriguez, Jad Rita, Kurt M. Gillenberg, Patrick Skipper, Anthony Fuentes, Sweaty Mitt, John Russell, Chris Kelly, Avaristo One, Dustin Graf, Israel Pena, Peyton Stone, Roberto, Josh Allen, Rui, Corbin Dallas, Tyler Watkins, Troilus True, Dan Root, Talisman, Randall Holsey, Robbie Nauman, Nuke Dukum, William Holbrook. Dr. Stump, Josh Godfrey, Colique Souza, Vornak, Betty M. Moriarty, Callan Lennon, Daniel Johnson, H-Trons, unofficial controller podcast, Ethan Davies, Jay Getter, Manuel Ochoa, Jeffrey Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Galja, Of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newland, Saul Balcazar, Zach Parsley, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Matt Martin, Kinnums, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Rinsler 526, Ben B, TB Lightning, Anti Kinnanen, Taylor Barkley, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Mason Cadillac, Ali Fritz, Evan Dalton, Zach Alum, George Anthony Nunez, Kyle Hagel, Christopher, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie 108, D.B. Cooper, Cody Bradbury, Tom Cargill, Richter 86, Michael J. Sutherland, Steve Hodge, Holfeldian, Ian Bravo, Noah J. Stevens, Barrett Boswell, Andrew Parker, Christopher Devayo, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Mark Liberto, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Blake Israel, Jonathan Coach, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Brian Chan, Jay, Organic Produce, Travellous Archuleta, Shane St. Pierre, Carlos Algarit, Richard Hebert the 3rd, Miranda Grubber, Ray Leja, Josh Yeager, Turbo Makes Games, Dan Parson, Martin Beck, Gavin, Brian Watkins, Joe Andrzejczyk, Nathan R, Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Brody Rainey, Jacob Bell, Dennis Yuzel, David Everett, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lou and Ray Loper, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, Zach Bingley, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Yusuf, Anton K, Brian W. Rath, Alan Trembley, Tyler Bellow, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, Kyle Thomas, James Kinslow III, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds. Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kinnison, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Phil Crone, Throw7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, David Mann, Petro Rose, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, David Iacolucci, Paul Joyce, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Shane Rayum, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Carson-Peterson, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Harper, Mad Mach Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Angie.